Good morning. Hey, Harlan, come up here for a second. Come up here, brother. How many of you know this guy? Does anybody know this guy? So let me introduce him to you. This is Harlan Jeter. And Harlan, you've been coming to Anderson Hills now for what, maybe three years, something three like years. that? Yeah, three years? Three. Yeah. yeah. And uh, man, Harlan, like, dude, watching you on the drums this morning. Amen. And, and listen, I was jealous of you this morning, not of your talent, but of the way the Spirit of God is moving in your life. And I think it's powerful. All right, bro. So proud of you, man. So proud of you. Thank you. So that's what it's about. Guys, listen, life change is happening here in Anderson Hills. And we don't tell you that enough. And maybe if you're sort of sitting on the fringes or kind of sitting in the back row, you wouldn't know it. But it's happening. Like every week, your, your staff, your pastors, we're getting word about life change that is occurring in people, and, and people are coming here, and they're broken, and they're, and they're beat down, and, and man, they're like at their wit's end, and then they're coming here, and God is just using, I mean, sometimes it's like God's doing things in spite of some of us. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes I feel that way. Like, I hear some of the great stories and testimonies that are coming out of this place, and I'm thinking, well, God, thank you that you're doing stuff in spite of me. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of grumpy, you know? Like, sometimes I'm pretty fickle, and I'm kind of stuck. And, and some of you have uplifted my spirit. Harlan did that for me this morning, and others of you have as well. So thank you, and thank God for what he is doing in this place and for what he's going to continue to do in this place in the coming weeks. And listen, if you're sitting out there and you're like, are you doing nothing in my life? Then when we offer time at the end of every service and we have people who come forward who love Jesus Christ and are sold out to him, who are wanting to pray over people, that's your time, right? That's your time to make your way forward and to say, please pray for me because I'm kind of just like Matt said this morning, I'm kind of stuck, and I'm kind of grumpy, and I don't really feel like God's doing much in my life right now. And I need him to just cut some chains off of me. You know what I'm saying? Like that word freedom was thrown out this morning, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's it. Right? That's, that's every person here that should be our testimony. And if it can't be your testimony this morning, then let me just tell you it can be. Right? It can be. That's the Spirit of God. And listen, I love the fact that we're in the book of Romans. And I hope that you were here last week, but if you weren't, I just want to give kind of a little pop quiz, all right, for those who were, and we'll see how they do. We'll see how much they remember from chapters one and two, right? So first of all, who wrote the book of Romans? All right, you're doing good so far. That one was a little easy, right? And Romans, we call it a book, but it's really more of a what? That's right. And it's written to whom? All right, to what in Rome, though? There you go, all right? In chapters one and two, we dealt a lot with an S word. Does anybody know what it is? Three letters, you got it. Sin, right? In fact, last week I felt a little bad because I left the podium without really a lot of resolution, right? It was just like building the case for how dirty and nasty and unclean and foolish and selfish and stuck up we all are, right? And I walked down and I'm like, man, I wish I could have told him the rest of the story, you know? Well, here's the beauty, right, is that today in Romans 3, 4, and 5, we start to hear the rest of that story, right? And last week, we talked about how Paul was really writing uh, to two different groups of people. Does anybody remember what those two groups were? Jews and the Gentiles. 
So for those of you that may be foreign to this whole concept, like what is a Gentile, right? So a Gentile is basically just a non-Jew, right? So that's really all you need to know. So if you're here this morning and you're a non-Jew, hello, my Gentile friend, right? That's you, okay? And Paul states the purpose of his letter, the whole theme of his letter, right there in Romans 1. And I read it last week, and I'm going to read it every week, because I think we just need to be hearing it over and over again, because I love the way he puts it. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. You see, and maybe more than anything, what keeps me stuck sometimes in my life is, is, is my feeling ashamed of my faith. Or, or maybe even more so, my feeling ashamed of the lack of faith that sometimes I find in myself. Like, God, man, I know that you call us to, to live here, right? But I'm kind of living down here right now. And there's some shame that goes with that. But Paul boldly says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, Paul says, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul's primary purpose in writing to the church at Rome was to teach the great truths of the gospel of grace to believers who had never had any kind of apostolic instruction. We talked about that last week. Romans is different than these other letters. You read Corinthians, you read Ephesians, you read Galatians, and you read about churches where Paul himself got to go and sit down and do life with a group of people and teach them eye to eye, knee to knee, elbow to elbow, right? But in Romans, we have a group of people that Paul had never gotten to visit before in person nor had any other apostle. And so Paul is writing to them to give them sort of a systematic theology about where the righteousness of God comes from. And so for this reason, the book of Romans still stands today as the foremost exposition on God's grace and the righteousness that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so last week we did. We spent our, our time together in chapters 1 and 2. And Paul does, he spends the majority of chapters 1 and 2 presenting this overwhelming evidence of man's sinfulness, underscoring how desperately each of us needs the righteousness that only God can provide. Paul explains how we're all stuck in this sort of trap, this downward spiral of sin and selfishness. He talks about how the human heart and mind are broken, how we turn from God to idolatry. Paul further emphasizes this point at the beginning of chapter 3, which we're going to explore today as, as well as chapters 4 and 5. So in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, Paul says this. He says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So just look at your neighbor and say, you're a no good, no, I'm just kidding, right? Because we've all done no 
good, right? We're just not capable. I mean, we believe as Christians that we are inherently sinners, right? That we inherit our sin, our sin nature comes from Adam, right? And Eve, remember them? The people in the garden? Enjoy the garden, live in the garden, love the garden, just don't eat of that tree. Oh, you mean that one? Right? It's like, really? (laughs) So here we are, right? And we're stuck in this spiral of sin and selfishness. We are all under the power of sin. Jew, Gentile, whatever. The charge against us is sinner. The evidence is our sin. The verdict is guilty, right? Paul concludes his argument with this statement in verse 20. He says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become aware or conscious of sin. So in preparing for this message, Pastor Mark and I were talking about the reality of how every Sunday, on any given Sunday, we address basically three groups of people in our congregation. We talk to those who are living outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That could look like a lot of different things, but they're outside of a relationship with Jesus. Unaware, unwilling, whatever the case may be, to leave behind their their sinful condition, that thing that we talked about last week. We also talk to those who are living in relationship with Jesus Christ. These people are well aware of their sinful condition, And they're recipients of the righteousness that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And now they're seeking to grow in their understanding, their knowledge, their faith of Jesus, right? And then we have those who are in the church. Maybe they've been here for decades. And they're believers in Christ, but they still don't know, they still don't understand, or maybe even they just still don't believe that justification is, in fact, by faith. In other words, they're aware of their sinful condition, and they're striving day in and day out to be good enough as to overcome it. And, and, the, and here's the thing. No matter where you are on that spectrum this morning, it is vitally important that you hear the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 20 when he says, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Now, this law that Paul is talking about, it's not the law that we follow today in our society, right? This is the Torah. This is the first five books of the Bible. Say them with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You got it. That is the Old Testament. That is the Jewish law, the Torah, right? And this law was given, it came from God, and it was sort of the guideline to every Jew at the time of how to live their life. And the law, Paul says here and elsewhere, is not what saves any of us. But the law does serve a purpose. Its purpose is to make us aware of our sin. And so we read along. Paul writes in chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, he says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Now this must have been really good news. Particularly, I mean, to the Jews, especially in Rome, right? 
hey guys, listen up. A righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who will believe. And then he says, There is no difference, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, I want, I want to be really certain this morning that we all understand what Paul is saying here. So I'm actually going to read from this paper the same passage of Scripture, but from a different translation of Scripture. This is the New Living Translation. What I read, New International Version, NIV, might not mean anything to you. It's not an IV, like to put in the arm. Right? It's the New, new IV. No, I'm just kidding. All right, New International Version. This is New Living, but just listen. I love the language. Here's what it says. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him, Without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So here it is. I mean, I feel like there should, Harlan, maybe I should get you back up here. There should be a drum roll behind me, right? Because here it is. Verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So maybe you've been coming to church for a hundred years, Right? And if you've never heard this, I really want you to hear it, and I really want you to understand what it's saying. You are made right with God through one thing, and that is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Okay? So that's pretty all-encompassing, right? That's everybody. All right, that's all of our friends inside the walls of churches around our area. That's all our friends outside the walls of churches around our area. That's people who are living in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's people who are living in Cleveland, Ohio. Yes, they can be saved. It's people who are living across the world in other parts of the world who know really nothing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's all-encompassing because it says here that we are all made right with God by doing what? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So let not you be fooled. You have messed up. And he says, Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. And he does it through Christ Jesus. He did it through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This is good news. This is great news. After all the bad news that we received last week about our sinfulness and God's condemnation, Paul now delivers the good news in chapter 3. And that's precisely why a person should never leave town on Labor Day weekend. You know what I'm saying? All those people who aren't here today, we're going to have to gather them together next week and be like, guys, I, we got a good word for you. Remember how Pastor Matt told you you were losers? Well, we're all winners, right? You just got to place your faith in Jesus. 
Listen, church, we all struggle from time to time with the truth that we are saved by faith alone, that there is simply nothing that we can do to earn God's mercy and grace. We live in a world where nothing really works that way, right? In every other area of our life, we have to work our way to the top. Our education, our vocation, athletic competition, artistic performance, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. In every other area of life, you've got to earn, you've got to work, you've got to work harder, you've got to be better, you got to be faster, you got to be smarter, right? But when it comes to our relationship with Almighty God, the best of our works simply cannot justify us. That's what Paul's saying. In verse 20, Paul explained that the purpose of God's law was to show us what sin was, not to save us from our sinfulness. He expounded on that truth in verses 21 and through 24 by saying that the righteousness that the law was powerless to give us, God did by sending Jesus Christ. He maintains that this righteousness comes by faith to all who believe in Christ Jesus apart from obeying the law. Now, you may be wondering, well, what is righteousness, this righteousness that Paul talks about? Simply put, righteousness is this. It is a right standing with God. So we receive right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Righteousness is freedom from guilt and sin. How many of you would like to have freedom from guilt and sin? Yeah, right? So the Bible says that the way to, to receive that, to achieve that, it's really not about achieving, it's about receiving by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? In Old Testament times, a person's debts could result in being sold as a slave. The next of kin could then choose to redeem this person by buying their freedom. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ purchased our freedom, and the price was his life. We are justified by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Justification, that's another one of those big spiritual religious words that we use. So let me be sure that you understand what we mean when we talk about justification. So in Christian theology, justification is God's act of removing the guilt and the penalty of sin while at the same time making a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. To further drive home this idea of justification by faith and not by works, Paul uses, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation whose name is Abraham, right? You guys remember Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons, many sons, sad father. You guys know that one? Okay. Some of you that have... Not ever, never darken the door of a church, you're like, I'm never coming back here because they make people sing those goofy little songs. Romans 4, 13 through 16, let me get there real quick, says this, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but rather through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, 
not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, right? So again, Paul seeking to unify the church. It's not about Jew. It's not about Gentile. It's about all of us being made righteous through faith, right? Paul says that Abraham was justified by faith before circumcision, right? There's this whole thing about circumcision in the Old Testament, right? Circumcision was a sign to others and a personal seal or or certification for the Jewish people that they were, in fact, God's special people, right? Well, Paul writes in verse 11, he says, the circumcision ceremony was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised, right? So it's not about Abraham being a good Jew. It's not about Abraham keeping the law. It's not about Abraham receiving circumcision. It's about Abraham being a man of faith. The writer of Hebrews also mentions Abraham in the eighth verse of the 11th chapter, which is called the faith chapter in the Bible. So what are these writers getting uh, getting at? Basically, they are making the argument that Abraham was justified on account of his faith and not by anything else, whether it be keeping the law, being circumcised, being born Jewish. And so then we turn the page one more time to chapter 5. Remember, today is 3, 4, and 5. And hopefully you've been following along in this, your Bible reading plan. If not, I encourage you, it's not too late. Pick one of these up. Find someone who knows where they are. Get them. Get a copy. Read it every morning. It helps you to keep pace with where we're at, right? We won't be reading these scriptures for the first time here on Sunday morning. You'll be reading them at least for the second time that week. But Romans 5, first two verses, this is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul begins chapter 5 by saying, Now that you have been saved by faith, dot, 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 I mean, it's not over, right? We got a lot more chapters of Romans to cover. So, I mean, it'd be really easy for us just to be like, well, okay, justified by faith. See you later. In fact, I'll just see you at Christmas. But Paul's like, oh, no, 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 no. He's got a lot more to tell the people of Rome. In being justified, we are made right on the foundation of Christ, not just for eternity, but for life with God now. Not only a future promise, but the present reality of the kingdom of God here on earth. Remember when Jesus taught us how to pray? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? He's not done with us. It's not about here and then eternity. It's about what happens here and now. The result of justification, Paul says, is peace with God in the present. I mean, that's some more good news, right? Paul even goes as far as to say that we glory in our sufferings. Listen to this in verses 3 through 5. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
So if you're ever looking for the progression, right, when you're in a season of suffering, in a season of trial, of tribulation, just remember that on the far end of that is a little thing we like to call hope. And it comes when Christ completes his work of building your character, right? Paul encourages the believers to rejoice when they run into suffering, problems, and trials. These problems that we run into will develop perseverance. They will strengthen our character. They will deepen our understanding and our trust in God and give us greater confidence about the future. Basically, what Paul is saying to the Roman believers is, hey, you're saved by grace through faith. You didn't do anything to deserve it. God freed you from sin and death because he loves you. Therefore, don't fret when you face trials. I mean, how easy is it to do that? We lose sight of the fact that God freely saves us, that God freely redeems us from our sin, and we get focused on the things that are happening in my life that I don't like or that make me uncomfortable or that, that are bad, right? The reality is he wants us to be like, look, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. So I'm going to wrap this up, church. Listen, God brings salvation to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, making them right with God. And so what we need to do is we need to ask God to strengthen our understanding that it is by faith that we are truly saved. So for those of you who are in the room who are non-believers, who've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to hear that God brings salvation to everyone who will believe in Jesus, making them right with God. It may be time, this morning may be time for you to place your faith in Jesus, to let him save you from your sin. I mean, if you're waiting for a time when you have it all together, it's not going to happen. That's why Paul in Romans 5 verse 8, he writes, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still what? Sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. Right? It's not Christ died for the godly, it's Christ died for the ungodly. Right? While we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. And then he says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many are made righteous. And just so you get that, let me read that in another translation. This again is New Living. He says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Jesus is the new Adam. Yeah, that's, that's good news. You can clap for that. Right? You were probably clapping for the Buckeyes yesterday when they scored 77 points against some worthless team from nowhere. So you can clap for the fact that Jesus redeems you by his blood, right? I'm really just jealous of the Buckeyes. Sorry about that. Hey, talking about Scarlet, what do you say we celebrate communion this morning? Right? Because listen, that's what this meal is all about. It's all about our being made right with God. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, who on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to each of his disciples and said, this bread is my body, which is about to be broken for you. 
And as often as you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then likewise, he took the cup after the meal, and he blessed it, and he said, this cup represents a new covenant. Old covenant, Abraham. New covenant, me. Jesus. This is my blood. It is about to be spilled out for the sins of all people. And so as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so God, this morning, as your church, we pray, God, your blessings upon this holy meal, upon this bread, and upon this juice. God, may they represent for us today the body and blood of Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us. God, we stand justified before you only when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Be with the man or woman who's in this room this morning, God, who's struggling with belief, who's downtrodden, who's beat down in their life. God, who's still trying just to be good enough. God, give them freedom. Give them freedom over sin, but give them also the freedom over the law and do it through right standing with Jesus. And God, for the person here who's been a believer for many years but feels stuck, feels as if their wheels are just spinning in their life of faith, that all the other things of life are crashing down around them and that they can't quite find you in the midst of that, God, give them hope. And God, for those of us who are as excited about our faith as we've ever been before in our life, God, who just, who just want to talk about Jesus all the time, God, help us to trust you and to look for, for where it is that you're calling us to, to move and to speak and to act. God, bless this holy meal. May it remind us of some things this morning. And it's in the precious name of Christ I pray. Amen.